This is the Global Missions, Inc. podcast, and my name is Andy Snoke. Today we're going to be reading an article from the June 2019 Sharon Star. The article is entitled, Condemnation or Conviction? If you would like a copy of this Sharon Star, a digital copy, sent to your email, or if you want to subscribe to the Sharon Star, please email us at info at globalmissionsinc.org. We will be talking about the differences between condemnation and conviction. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit, and it causes us to repent. Condemnation comes from the enemy and simply causes us to be depressed. For a moment here, what does repentance mean? Repentance is called for throughout the Bible, and it's a summons to a personal, absolute, and ultimate, unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. Though it includes sorrow and regret, it's more than that. In in repenting, one makes a complete change of direction, a 180 degree turn towards God. Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Are you experiencing condemnation or conviction? There is a difference. When we experience that deep conviction in our souls that we must change, we are convicted. It brings repentance. Conviction is clean and to the point. Conviction brings souls to the altar and causes them to lay their sins and burdens at the feet of Jesus. Conviction and repentance cuts to the heart and helps us change our nature by the power of the Holy Spirit. Conviction with repentance comes by the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is quite different. Condemnation comes from the enemy of our soul, also known as the accuser of the brethren. Condemnation will keep us captive to our past and prevent a life of freedom in the Spirit. Here are some examples of being under condemnation and being accused by our enemy. The Bible reminds us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Romans 12.10 Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accursed them before our God day and night has been cast down. That's Revelations 12.10, excuse me. The enemy of our soul spends day and night accusing the Christian, which brings self-condemnation. We find Satan accusing righteous Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. 
So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would sin, sin and sanctify them, and he would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. That's Job chapter 1, 1 through 5. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord, and he said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my son, my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does God fear? Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. As Job chapter 1, 7 through 11. We find in these passages that the enemy of our soul stands before God bringing accusations against God's faithful. Just as Satan brought accusations against righteous Job, he continues this same work today. If the enemy of our soul can trap a person on a feeling of overwhelming guilt, undeserving of God's love, he's accomplished his intention. Now John 8 gives a story of the woman caught in adultery. She was under condemnation from the law and was accused by her enemies. In fact, under the law, she was to be stoned to death. But Jesus presented a higher truth, the truth of complete forgiveness. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something to wish to accuse him. But Jesus stopped, he stooped down, and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. When we from time to time struggle with a sense of condemnation, we would do well to remember these same words from the Master. And this is what Jesus said. John 8, verse 1 through 11. Neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. On the day of Pentecost, Peter the Apostle preached the first full gospel message in all of history. 
He had the privilege to be the first human being to preach Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected from the dead, and ascended into heaven. And his message, he was not very politically correct in his words. Peter clearly laid the blame on those who crucified the living Christ. Acts 2.36 Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Immediately afterwards, the Holy Spirit sent conviction and repentance, not condemnation. Acts 2.37-39 Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. I was happy to read that scripture when he said he sent the Holy Spirit to you and to your children and to all who are far off, because that means us today. It was conviction that brought many souls to the foot of the cross. The process for deliverance was simple. Repent. Repent, and the Lord would do the rest of the work. It is hard for us for us to understand that our sins can all be washed away completely. The Lord does not forgive sin incrementally, but completely. Let me repeat that. The Lord does not forgive sins incrementally, but completely. Though we are all sinners, conviction and repentance should set us completely and forever free of our sins. Our sins are as a giant chalkboard with every sin we have ever committed written in chalk. When Jesus comes, they are all erased completely. Repentance and conviction brings us all to this point. Isaiah 1.18 Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I am sure that the Apostle Paul had many reasons and occasions to condemn himself. He was the influence behind the persecution of the church of his day. Christians were put to death due to the persecution of Saul of Tarsus, later to be called Paul. Yet after Paul's conversion, he learned a valuable lesson. Paul chose to leave his past in the past, covered by the blood of Jesus. He chose to live looking forward, forever forward, to where God would lead him, and not backward from where he came. Philippians 3.13-14 Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, Paul said, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3.13-14. I often wonder about the value of modern day thinking. It is customary for those who have suffered past trauma to be encouraged 
to remember their past in great detail. They are often counseled to relive it, to rethink it, to remember all of the sordid details. I am sure that faulty memories heap more of a burden of helplessness on the victim than what is really necessary. The Apostle Paul presents his recipe for the recovery from the trauma of his past in three simple steps. Number one, forget those things which are behind. Number two, reach forth to those things which are ahead. Number three, press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. I have heard others say something like this. In life, I learned to spend more time facing forward, looking through the windshield of life, instead of dwelling on looking in the rearview mirror, representing your past. We often struggle with our thoughts. It's no easy task at times to change change our way of thinking. I enjoyed the following devotion presented by Dr. David Jeremiah regarding our thoughts. 2 Corinthians 4.18 We do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We need filters to strain certain questions from invading our thoughts. For example, the question why is natural and normal, but sometimes only God knows the answer. When we obsess with the whys, we might forget the who. And what about the phrases, if only, and what if? Those two are normal, but again, only God can answer them. He does not want your thoughts to torment you. He stands ready to forgive your sins and to bring good from your mistakes. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory to be revealed in us, Romans eight eighteen. My niece, Amber, posted a very thoughtful slogan that goes like this. If you think you've blown God's plan for your life, You, my friend, are not that powerful. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Jeremiah 29 11 through 13. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we welcome you to send to us conviction from the Holy Spirit of our sins and that clean repentance that helps us to change our thoughts and our minds and our ways and to walk a different direction. We pray for your help in recognizing that the enemy sends condemnation that he would desire to trip us up by simply condemning ourselves and making ourselves feel and think that we're no good and we are of no value. We know we have no value except in the hollow of your hand and in the plan and purpose of God. We welcome that conviction. We welcome that clean repentance that that we might walk faithfully with you. I pray for those that would be struggling with with thoughts of condemnation that has caused roadblocks for their lives, that they would be free. We thank you, Lord, for your salvation and for your hand. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Global Missions, Inc. podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.